Welcome to the Perfectly Integrated Podcast, hosted by Matt Ackerman, where we show the power of teamwork in wealth management. Now, onto the show. We work in a really interesting business, one that at times seems both counterintuitive and a little ironic. On one hand, the financial services space can feel kind of cutthroat and adversarial. And on the other, it's completely a business of relationships. It's both an industry of teamwork and an industry of competition. And for all the above reasons, it's an industry that can create a little skepticism. I spent over two decades in the media, and we were taught from the first time we picked up a pen and called ourselves journalists to be skeptics. So when I first met my next guest, I was a little skeptical. See, we were at a strange little industry conference. We were in Miami at a beach barbecue with all these industries biggest fintech executives. And I was convinced there's no way anyone can be this genuinely nice in this industry. He was starting a business about risk and it was called Risk Allies. And everyone at this barbecue genuinely liked this guy. And he was genuinely interested as I talked about baseball and my kids and all this other stuff. And today he's that same genuine guy, a family guy, a giver, and a guy who's recast the idea of risk and helping advisors understand it. Welcome, Aaron Klein. Aaron, welcome. Hey, Matt, thank you so much. And thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm super excited to do this today. Oh, man, I am so excited to be seeing you. I'm looking forward to seeing you in person real soon. This is such a relationship business. And we've gotten to do a lot of different things together over the years. We played yeah. mini golf during the interview. Uh, you co-hosted Practice Makeover with me. Yep. Heck, you even let me do a whole spy theme video with you and your company. Why the <laughs> heck did you agree to all that? Well, <laughs> primarily because it was the legendary Matt Ackerman asking me to do it. Okay. But I, you know, I, you're so right that this is a relationship-driven business, and even even at its toughest competition, I feel like everybody falls back on keeping relationships alive, and I just think that that's so reflective of of the truth about this profession. You know, my 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 dad actually, my first job was working for my dad in the afternoons after school. I, I that was from age twelve to age twenty four. I guess I did, to be clear, graduate from school, so it expanded beyond the afternoons after school sometime during that. Yes, but um, but anyway, I, I, I worked for my dad those years, and one of the you know there are a couple of things my dad that was not in this profession. He was in wholesale distribution of like automatic gates and security equipment brutal business, like very low margin, commoditized product. Everybody had the same thing. And there were a couple of things that he taught me. One was just the utter grit that it took to be an entrepreneur. But the second was that relationships are everything. And that particularly in a business where you feel like you can get the same thing down the road, you know, at the end of the day, relationships are everything. And if you take really good care of your clients, they will turn around and take really good care of you. And, and that certainly happened in his business. And uh, so I just could not agree with you more about the kind of relation or, you know, the kind of relationship driven industry that we work in. And uh, it's, it's, it's a great place. It's a great profession to work in. I, I couldn't agree more. The relationship factor of all this is so interesting because sometimes wealth management can feel a little commoditized in terms of the services, but the people you know, the the clients, that camaraderie, that relationships you build are, are really everything. It's a people-driven business. Mm -hmm. And so if you, that's everybody who talks about, you know, oh, this is just going to get commoditized and disrupted and turned into a bunch of robo-advisors at 25 basis points. I always laugh because I'm like, 
you, you clearly have not uh, seen the vast majority of advisor-client relationships where it's a relationship of trust, it's a relationship of expertise, it's a relationship of coaching, and, and it's a people-driven business. Long may it be so. You're right. I mean, it's at the end of the day, you want to be able to look across that desk and know that someone's got your back. You want them to have all the technology and bells and whistles and everything, but you yeah. want to be able to look across that desk and know somebody's got your back. Yeah. I've, I've often said that there are two things that are true about investing that are, that are you know, true about, about other parts of, of the world as well. But like, one is that investing is, is very complicated. You know, there's, there's a lot to do it right and to do it well. There's a lot of myths out there. There's a lot of complication out there. There's a lot of opportunities. It's almost an infinite number of opportunities of things you could invest in. And figuring out how to, how to put those together into the right mix of things that will protect what you've worked so hard to build, that, that, is, that is not easy. And, and so it's complex. It's really complicated. It's also incredibly important, right? Because the, you know, getting that right for the average person is so much more important than shaving 10 basis points of cost off the, off the equation, right? Like people care very deeply. They know that like getting this right is the, is going to be the difference between maybe their grandkids going to college or not. It could be the difference between, you know, whether they're going to retire with dignity and security or not. It could be the difference between whether they're going to be able to make like some, some massive change in the world through nonprofit giving or not. And, and so you know, when things are complicated and they're important, that is when, you know, we, we most value expertise and advice. And I, 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 just, I just feel like this is why I feel so strongly about the long-term bet we've placed on the future of the financial advisor. Because, I, you know, I, I don't see this getting any less complicated. In fact, I see all the politicians in Washington trying to make the tax code more complex <laughs> not less complex. Okay. So it's not getting less complicated and it's not getting any less important. So I'm, I'm, I'm very bullish on the future of financial advisors and the contribution that they make in the world. So you see this complex space, but you see a space built on people, a space built on relationships. Talk to me about that initial kernel of an idea for Riskalyze and um, really that elegant simplicity of the risk number which to me is, is, yeah. is brilliant in, in, in the context of everything we're talking about. Riskalyze is kind of interesting because it started, it's a company that started as a conversation between friends, right? And, and so I'm, I'm off like running global product for a division of an options brokerage firm. And my co-founder, Mike McDaniel, is a financial advisor. And he and I are talking and I'm like, it is crazy how the average individual thinks about the concept of risk. And he says, if you think that's crazy, you should see how many of us financial advisors think about it. He's like, we just have not had the tools in this profession to really understand who our clients are and really match that up with the amount of risk in their portfolios. And you know, when we started double-clicking on that idea, it became really clear just how reliant this industry was on these qualitative terms like conservative and moderate and aggressive. And there's some problems with that because, you know, I, 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 at the end of the day, we don't know if all the people at that table, the advisor, the client, the asset manager, mean the same thing by the word moderate. And so, you know, we just looked at that and said, you know, 
ultimately, if we can help financial advisors construct a short-term framework to help their clients understand and react to risk appropriately, we can literally transform fearful investors who make bad short-term decisions. You know, you and I are talking on a day where the markets are down by a pretty big percentage, right? So Mm -hmm. it's some noticeable volatility. And, and like, we're, you know, these are the kinds of days that fearful investors go, oh my gosh, I see red on the screen. I need to call or, or log in or do whatever and like sell. That is a fearful investor making a bad short-term decision. Okay. And what we've got to do is we've got to transform those with that, with that, if, if you've got that short-term framework to understand and react to risk appropriately, we can transform that fear-bound investor, that fearful investor who makes bad short-term decisions into a fearless investor who makes really great short-term decisions like, oh yeah, I don't think we sell at the bottom. I don't actually think that's a, that's a, that's, that's a good thing to do. I don't think we sell when we're down. I think we, we make good long-term you know, uh, choices, but we make good short-term decisions that ultimately are the, the fuel, are ultimately the input that amazing financial advisors use to actually create those long-term financial outcomes. You know, I, 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 I was speaking at some conference, I can't remember which one it was, uh, you know, big group of financial advisors. And I said, how many of you help your clients make great long-term decisions? You know, I kind of put my hand up and, and all the hands go up in the room. And I'm like, I'm sorry. It was a trick question. None of your clients make long-term decisions. They only make short-term decisions. Sell this, buy that. You know, I maybe we should get out. Maybe we should stay in. These are the kinds of short-term decisions that clients make. They don't make long-term decisions. They make short-term decisions. And ultimately, what you as a financial advisor need, the input for you, is a series of good short-term decisions by your clients. You're the ones who do the work of transforming those short-term decisions into the long-term financial outcomes that your clients ultimately need. And they can't do that on their own. They need your coaching. They need your expertise. They need your help to figure out how to get to the other side with that. That's really how we got started was that philosophy. And that, that, that mission, that vision of empowering the world to invest fearlessly is what still drives us today in everything that we do and drives us to come to work every morning. Advisors tell me all the time, armed with that risk number, armed with risk allies behind them, what it enables them to do is to have uh, better conversations with their clients on days when the markets don't go well. You know, on those, when they get that frantic phone call of, what are we going to do now? They're able to kind of get folks to step back and say, hey, let's, let's go back to that first conversation we had about risk. But you, know? you just you just nailed something that I think is really important to, to to know. Not to say that like an advisor calling us today on a down day that we can't help that advisor be well mm-hmm. equipped to talk about risk. The advisors who do the best on those days are the advisors who have laid the the groundwork for this for quarter after quarter after quarter, for six-month review after six-month review after six-month review, saying, let's look at this. Let's be comfortable with the risk that we're taking because this is the kind of behavior that would be normal based on historical probabilities for your portfolio. And when you do that, you earn the credibility on a down day to say, remember, this is what we talked about. Okay, (laughs) Maybe we're still within that range. Maybe it's a 5% probability event and it's dropped below that range. Either way, here's what we know. Risk comes hand in hand with reward in the markets. So the solution is not to sell when we see red. 
The solution is to make sure we've made the right decision in advance and that we stick with those decisions for the long term. And, and like I said, that simplicity of you know speed number signs, uh, speed limit signs that you guys yep. use for the risk yep. number, it, it, it plants in people's mind that sense of like, hey, we understand that some people go faster than the speed limit. Right. That, doesn't mean it's the right, that doesn't mean it's the right decision for everybody, but that's your decision. Right. Everybody is an individual. You know, I'll tell you, we've, we've used the same concept talking about a different kind of risk. You know, th- this is not something we do with our product, but I've just, I've talked to the team about this. Right now, we're all navigating uh, health risk with COVID and we're all sitting there. You know, I have some employees who think it's idiotic that we're not all back in the office at the same time. I have some employees who think it's ridiculous that anybody would be out at an event. And we're, we've got people all across the spectrum on that. And, you know, one of my messages to the team is, hey, these are all acceptable opinions because guess what? Everybody's an, an, an individual. Everybody has a different risk number for their health as well. And so, you know, we've uh, it, it's it's been good for us because we've been able to, um, I, I keep telling the team, we are not a red company or a blue company. We're not going to politicize this issue. We bleed riskalyze orange. So we're going to find an orange solution to this problem. And the orange solution to this problem is, hey, we're here to try to inject data and remove fear from decision-making. And so we're going we're gonna to make data-driven decisions about things, and we're going to bring common sense and data to the process, not kind of fear and nonsense to the process like we've seen with a lot uh, in a lot of cases. Oh, yeah. And we're going to respect people as individuals and allow them to make different decisions. And we support our risk who have you know, lower risk numbers there and say, hey, that's okay. You don't have to travel. We'll have you do your coaching calls on Zoom or do this or do that, right? Mm-hmm. And then we've got other folks who want to be out there visiting customers, and if that fits the customer's risk number, then that's fine too. We've we've been uh, we've that's been an approach that has worked really well for us. Yeah, risk is a really personal consideration, both you know from person to person, even in couples. Hey, you know, I got to admit, yes. you know. I'm a more lot more risk averse than than my wife is. Um, yeah. You know, whether that be in a personal nature, she's the one on the roller coasters with CJ while I'm standing on the ground. Um, <laughs> you know, all the way down to when we when we think about investing or wealth managers spending. You know, yeah. um, you know, we could be at a casino. She wants to push all in on red, and I'm like, oh, let's go to the buffet and go to sleep. Uh, how can a good risk conversation help clients, especially when you have a couple standing in front of you that might? be completely from different ends of the spectrum on the risk cycle. Well, I, you know, I, I think it's a, I think it's a great point and it's so critical to understand who people are as individuals and then how to manage those client expectations. And, you know, when a couple comes in to talk about their finances with a financial advisor, one of the, one of the features that we built into the product that we really encourage advisors to use is a, a feature we call multiple opinions, because it basically allows it would allow your financial advisor to send you and Marissa different risk questionnaires for the same money. And, you know, it's kind of interesting to get those back because it's quite often that there are many couples, I I believe the term is opposites attract, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. it's quite often that there are many couples who, you know, there's a risky partner and a conservative partner in one portfolio. And by the way, the data, you know, I know that the stereotype is probably like, oh, the man is always risky and the woman is always conservative. Not according to the data. It actually, <laughs> like, like your marriage edged out 
by a few percentage points, you know, the stereotypical marriage. So, um, so anyway, congratulations to you guys. Mm, thanks. But I, you know, it's so, so first of all, with multiple opinions, it's really critical that go past the current, you know, what has been the practice in the past of trying to decide who is the financial spouse and mm-hmm. listening to them. Okay. Because I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, both spouses' opinions are really important. You know, you never know when one spouse or the other, you know, when things could change. And all of a sudden, you know, do you want to just have been ignoring that other spouse for 10 years? I don't, that, that's not a really wise decision. So multiple opinions allows the advisor to get two different data points on those individuals and then facilitate a conversation because, you know, financial advisors are part expert, part behavioral coach. And in this case, part marriage therapist, okay? Like, it's just the way it works. It's absolutely true. I mean, because when you walk into those meetings, you know, we come from very different perspectives and this helps to ground you. It helps to offer that foundation. Exactly right. So you have better page with a bit of a foundation to understand how to talk to each other. And, and ultimately look, the financial advisor has got to get to one target. So if, if you do this process and you're risk 45 and Marissa does this process and she's a risk 86, you know, it's going to spark a really good conversation with that financial advisor to go, okay, we got to think about this. How are we going to manage this? And we need to come up with one target for your money. Now, one of the things that we can do to try to satisfy both of you is frankly, you know, Marissa may have an IRA and you have an IRA, and we may think about investing those IRAs more in alignment with your own opinions. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then when we step back and we see how this balances together, the question we're going to have is what are your goals as a couple? And how does that, you know, kind of risk capacity, how much risk you need to take in order to reach your goals? That can be informed by good financial planning tools, that can be informed by simpler planning tools, whatever works. But like, At the end of the day, if you need to be invested like a risk 70 in order to reach your goals, you you may be finding a happy medium there and going, okay, Matt, are you comfortable with your portfolio averaging a 70 keeps you on track for these goals still under Marissa's, you know, uh, 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 risk number. And it's kind of in between this bracket that we've created between the two of you. So that's typically how that conversation goes. And what I love about that is that number one, it gets couples onto the same page about how their money is going to be managed. Number two, it really strengthens the advisor-client relationship because the advisor has now been an integral part of getting that couple on the same page. And number three, down the road, this could be 20, 30 years from now, at some point, if that advisor is called upon to serve only one member of that couple, okay, that advisor is going to actually have a working relationship and understand who that person is. And that's so critical. And it all goes back to the word we started with, which was relationship. You know, it's all about strengthening that relationship so that you should be maintained as an advisor based on that relationship, not what the market happens to do in a given day. You you can't control the market. You can control how good a relationship you have. That's exactly right. hundred percent. You know, it's it's so amazing to get to ch- talk to you. I mean, I, I've gotten to kind of see Riskalyze grow and and flourish. You know, I've been to some of the great fearless uh, conferences and summits you guys have had. You know, I've seen the movement grow. How's the impact been on the industry? You know, when you kind of step back a little bit and look at you know where Riskalyze is now versus say where it was seven eight years ago. 
where has the industry grown and how has Riskalyze pushed the industry along the way? Yeah, you know, I, I first of all, we just feel incredibly grateful to have had the opportunity to make the impact that we've already had and to kind of be uh, still, I feel like in the early innings of the baseball game of being able to make that impact on, mm-hmm. on the profession. And so, you know, I think, look, if you, if you, you know, if you look back to before we started, you know, financial advisors would largely use kind of risk tolerance questionnaires that would talk about, you know, if your portfolio was a car, what kind of car would it be? And if you said Honda, they would nudge you a little bit more. First of all, by the way, everything was based on the stereotype of age, right? Like, right. like 95% of the solution was basically, Matt, how old are you? Like, you know, and that's, that's just stereotyping people. Like if you're young, you're probably aggressive. If you're old, you're probably conservative. And, and, and so they'd start with the stereotype of age. And then they would ask these silly questions that were really <laughs> about just like cover your butt documentation that we're going to put in the file and never think about again. But, you know, I'm going to say something like, if your portfolio was a car, what kind of car would it be? And if you say Honda, I'm going to nudge you a little bit more conservative. And if you say, you know, Tesla, I'm going to nudge you a little bit more aggressive. And if you say, you know, I don't know, Volkswagen, I'm going to pollute your portfolio full of, full of bad mutual funds <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. I, I, I We got to make the obligatory VW joke, right? But but anyway, I, I, I just, I look at that and I go, like, that is just utter silliness. That is not risk tolerance, right? Like that is, that is um, at best market sentiment. We're stereotyping people. And then we're just like understanding what their market sentiment is and how they're feeling about the markets. And that's, that's not risk tolerance. Risk tolerance is how far can this portfolio fall within a fixed period of time before I'm going to get emotional and capitulate and make a poor short-term decision that ultimately could put my long-term financial future at risk. I think that the process of taking this away from being qualitative and moving it to quantitative data is what's really made the biggest impact. Because you know, we were talking before about the words conservative, moderate, and aggressive. Can you imagine if when they built your house, they're like, remember, Matt wants a moderately conservative hallway leading to his moderately aggressive attic. Like they're, they're, there's, the house would never have come together. And so we really, there's a reason they use feet and inches on blueprints. And we really felt like, you know, it, it, we've got to get feet and inches into this process for financial advisors. And, and I think ultimately that's a big part of the impact we've been grateful to make uh, is to put, you know, the risk number is put feet and inches into this process and helped advisors get on the same page quantitatively with clients. And then most importantly, demonstrate that, make that clear to clients because, you know, candidly, there we don't tell advisors what to tell their clients. Advisors, I remember one advisor who told me this, and I've, I, this language just stuck with me because I love it. He said, yeah, he says, in all candor, like there's nothing, there's nothing really new in Riskalyze that I tell my clients. Riskalyze just helps my clients see and understand the things I've been telling them for years. Also just taking the emotion out. I mean, I, yep. advisors tell me all the time what they don't want most of all is the frantic phone call from their client. So if you can take yep. the emotion out, bring raise up that quantitative metric, yep. increase kind of, you know, and communicate all this over yep. and constantly communicate. So no one feels blindsided by, yep. you know, whatever may happen. No one wants to get that annual report once a year and go, oh my goodness, how did my money go down so far? You, yep. If you communicate well, if you take the emotion out, you build long-term relationships. And that's really ultimately what you've Riskalyze provides a fuel for is, is take the emotion out and create long-term relationships. 
It's so interesting. I mean, it's, and, you know, we've just gotten through, I mean, when we're still in the midst of it, this 18 months of um, status of here, and it's now risk, like you said, risk is a very different conversation now than it was even 18 months ago. You know, what do you say to advisors who aren't using risk management systems, especially in light of everything we've gone through in the past year to 18 months? Yeah, I, you know, I think that it's first of all, we 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 do, you know, like every business when COVID first hit, you know, um, uh, the world just kind of slammed on its brakes, and everybody just kind of went, whoa, 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 what is going on? And and we were no exception to that for uh, you know at least those early weeks mm-hmm. um, of of when the pandemic hit. One of the things we did see that I thought was interesting was our, you know, any advisors that might have been, you know, like leaving us, whether it was a change in their affiliation or as, as part of it, whether it was, you know, they're 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 just they're just making adjustments to their practice, whatever, that just dropped like a rock because mm-hmm. advisors all of a sudden were like, I need a better way to talk about risk with clients. And so we became a, a pretty critical tool in the toolbox there. But all that to say, you know, I, 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 man, I look at that, at that question, risk is at the forefront of every single client's mind right now. They're doing risk assessments on whether or not they should go to the grocery store. Okay. So when you think about like investing risk has all of a sudden, you know, I would, I would tell you, I, I, I think it was somewhat controversial a decade ago when we said risk should be at the center of how you engage with clients. You're like, no, risk is that thing that I document to cover my butt, put it in the file as quickly as possible, and then like sweep that under the rug and try to focus with the client on the good things that are going to happen in their portfolio. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we said, no, like you, you're, you know, the, the advisors who got this in the early days of 2013 and 14 and 15, where the advisors were like, no, this makes total sense. I build credibility and trust by talking about risk early and framing my client engagement through the lens of risk because, because it's, it's so much easier for clients to get. And so I, I look at this and I say, at this point, I feel like in the 2020s, not having a risk solution on your desk is a little bit like not having a computer on your desk in the 2000s. <laughs> like we're, 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 we've gotten to that phase. And that was not true in the last decade, just to be clear. Like we, we were a newer product coming out with this kind of idea of putting risk at, at the center of client engagement. And, you know, you couldn't accurately say that in the, in the, in the 2010s. Like you just couldn't say that. I really do believe that that's true in the 2020s. I think we're seeing it in, in our growth, but in the, in the industry's growth, in advisors' growth. You know, we're in this growing industry, advisors still growing here. And, and you've always had such a great broad view. You've, you recently uh, recapitalized with HG Capital. Yeah. You know, what does the next chapter look like for Riskalyze? Well, you know, it's a the the, the transaction with HG is um, is really exciting because it is a big bet on the future of the financial advisor. You know, we were we were really aligned with HG that the financial advisor is the irreplaceable core of how we empower every person on earth to invest fearlessly and successfully. And you know, at, at the end of the day, what I'm excited about in particular is you know they really invested in our vision. And our our belief in the impact that we're going to be able to make on the profession over the next decade. You know, this is a firm that is very long term. They are the largest software and services investor in Europe. You know, headquartered in London and New York, 
Even a bunch of the New York people that grew up in the United Kingdom. So I'm having to learn how to speak British. It's a new language for me. There are some differences, some distinct differences. But the accent, I mean, I mean, honestly, like, let's not tell them this, but like, we would, we would probably have given them a little bit of a discount if we'd known how great the, you know, the British accent was going to be on a day-to-day basis. Oh, they make, it's, everything sounds smarter. Everything sounds a lot smarter. Yeah. So I'm I'm kidding. If they listen to this later, we couldn't have done a discount, but nonetheless, (laughs) uh, the, (laughs) but, but I, you know, I, I'm, I'm just really excited about it because it sets us up to uh, continue to build the the strong independent long-term partner for you know the advisors and the wealth management enterprises that we love to serve and there's a lot of investment it means a lot of investment uh, that we're going to make in 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 the innovation that we can deliver to advisors and the impact that we can make on the profession and uh, for me I just could not be more excited about that I mean I'm going to be CEO of this company for as long as, I'm having a blast and I'm being effective at what I do. And that, that is just surreal for me. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about what the next decade has, has in store. A lot of great relationships ahead. I'm sure. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to see what you have coming next. Now, the last question, my friend always comes from my son, CJ. Uh, I've shown him some of the cool videos we've done over the years together. He laughed at them. Mostly he laughed at me being silly, (laughs) probably. So he asked, if you couldn't be CEO of a big financial services company, what job do you think you'd be really good at? This is a great question. And you, you, know, you told me that this was CJ's question in advance. And so I'm in my office thinking about this question, this, this very challenging question from CJ. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like I have no idea. So my son, Spencer, was walking past my study right then. I'm like, hey, Spence, I, I, I've, got, I've got a question for you. I need some help. And, you know, and I asked him this question and he basically is like, I don't know. I don't know what you'd be good at, dad. I just have no idea. So I, I tried to break it down and I, and I said, well, what do you think my skills are? So I'm like, you know, try to break it down for him, make it easy. He still, by the way, couldn't answer. But then after, try not to laugh too hard. After a little bit of prodding, he said that talking was one of my really good skills. Mm, congratulations. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm not sure that my wife would agree, but that's, that's, uh, that's, that's what he said. And that led him to say, I might be a good high school teacher. He just, he's in his freshman year of high school. So there you go. If not a FinTech CEO, maybe I'd take on teaching high school. Teaching high school. So I, I would, I would think that'd be great. I have a lot of family that's teachers and anytime like I get called into like, you know, oh, we want somebody to come in and, and, you know, talk about journalism or talk about something. I always leave there going, I could not do that every day. Like you're trying to like be on. <laughs> totally. All the time. You're trying to like, at the end of a conference where I had to do all those interviews, I would be dead. I can't imagine going back the next day and being on again. And, and yeah, that's a hundred percent. Like teachers do amazing work and we all owe them a great debt of gratitude for how they invest in our kids. And uh, I I am in awe of what teachers do. So, um, so yes, I think I'll leave that to the professionals and I'll just stick to being the CEO of a fintech company. (laughs) Perfect. Much better for you anyway, much better for them. Uh, Talk about a high risk number right now. Teachers are, teachers are carrying a high risk number and they're helping a lot of kids do a lot of different relationships. So Kudos to every teacher out there. Aaron, always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. I cannot wait to see you in person. This has been just a great conversation. Thanks so much, my friend. 
Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Absolutely, buddy. Talk to you soon. And that is it for another episode of Perfectly Integrated. Thanks so much to our great audience for tuning in. Um, And as always, I'm Matt Ackerman from Integrated Partners. Have a great day. Content in this material is for general information only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Integrated Partners, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial. Aaron Klein, co-founder and CEO of Riskalyze, is a separate entity and not affiliated with Integrated Partners and LPL Financial.